Thank you, Joseph. Uh, good morning. Welcome to uh, Midtown 12 South. My name is Elliot. I'm the lead pastor here. It's a joy to be with you. Um, <clears throat> we have been working through, in the month of January, uh, the vision statement of Midtown 12 South. So if you're visiting today, this is a great Sunday to kind of check out who we are, what we're about, what we believe in. Uh, if you are a regular attender here and have been here for a while, I hope that this month of January reminds you of who we are, what we care about, and what we're about. Um, you may not know this, uh, but Midtown Fellowship Church is a one church entity in this city. We have multiple iterations, multiple congregations of Midtown Fellowship Church in different locations in our city. So we have a campus on the east side and a, and a, and a campus congregation right on the street, Granny White and uh, Creve Hall and West Nashville and 12 South. Um, we are a family of churches. We share a lot of things and we work together and there's a brotherhood of the pastors and it's beautiful and I, I love our family. But when you walk into this location, when you walk into any given uh, Midtown Fellowship Church, you may not know or notice or care uh, that we're part of a family because for all intents and purposes, this location looks and feels and functions like its own local church. Uh, we love that. Um, and so what we're talking about uh, in the month of January is not necessarily what are the family values of Midtown Fellowship Church in this city. You'll get some of that today. Uh, but more so, how, how have we been called in 12 South specifically and at this location? What role do we play in the family? How do we uh, work and labor um, and pray and, and seek to bring the gospel and the light of Jesus uh, to what we've been called to do in this city? And because we're part of the family, it's not radically different than any of our other locations. It's just kind of our own uh, little unique, you know, we're our own child in the family. And we don't, we don't have to be like big brother, okay? We can do what we want to do. I've got gifts too, dad. Uh, but I'm um, kidding. But there is uh, a sense in which, hey, this is, this is kind of the flavor and the ethos and the vision and values of 12 South. That's what we're talking about and actually wrapping up today what we've been in for the month of January. So we're talking about our 12 South vision statement, which is as follows. Uh, Will, you throw this up. This is the Midtown, vision, Midtown 12 South vision statement. It says, we are a church that believes in the importance of Jesus and the word and how it transforms us to be the church to our world. As we grow and mature in Christ, we believe we become agents of renewal and revival in our homes, neighborhoods, workplaces, city, and beyond. One more time. We are a church that believes in the importance of Jesus and the word and how it transforms us to be the church to our world. As we grow and mature in Christ, we believe we become agents of renewal and revival in our homes, neighborhoods, workplaces, city, and beyond. For the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing is we've been taking the very first sentence of that vision statement, that first, uh, you know, 10 or 15 words, so to speak, uh, 15 or 20 words, and breaking it down chunk by chunk. These are the pillars. These are the, the foundational aspects of who we are and what we believe in. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at what does it mean that we believe that we are a church that believes in the power of Jesus and his word. That was week one. And then last week, we looked at uh, that transforms us to be the church. What does that mean? And today we look at the last chunk, um, and I hope this all makes sense and wraps itself up. What does it mean that we believe that we believe in the power of Jesus and his word that transforms us to be the church to the world? This is today's uh, chunk that we're going to talk about. And I want you to notice, especially if you're new here, um, I do love using a whiteboard. Uh, this is a much bigger whiteboard than what we've had here historically. Uh, we borrowed this from our Granny White location, our big brother down the street. Um, and this is a problem for you, okay, because this is a much bigger whiteboard. And I don't know the analogy to use, but it's, 
you know, whatever someone's vice is or their idol is, I just got a bigger idol, okay? Now I, I have more, more of what I probably don't need. So um, who's going to pay for that? You guys are. But we have so much to cover uh, that I need. I literally asked for a bigger whiteboard this week. And so Matt Ackerman and Daryl, our assistant pastor, went down with their uh, trucks, uh, one truck, uh, and got it and brought it down here. So it's here. Uh, it may never be here again. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, here we go. So here's the question I want you to be asking, or at least that I hope is sparked in you. When I just read the vision statement that was up on the screen and you saw that first sentence of what we value, we are a church that believes in the importance of Jesus and his word that transforms us to be the church to the world. Why do we add this? Why did we, why did we decide that little bit needed to be tacked on? Why didn't the mission statement or the vision statement of Midtown 12 South, why didn't it stop at we are a church that believes in the importance of Jesus and his word that transforms us to be the church? That sounds so great. And, and here's what is not just great about it. It's true. We are a church that believes in the importance of Jesus and his word that transforms us to be the church. If we stop our vision statement right there, though, here's what you're going to need to go home and do. Or right here, if you've got it with you, you need to rip a bunch of pages out of your Bible. Because a bunch of pages just became really unnecessary. You don't need the whole Bible to tell the story, the true story, of we are a church that believes in the importance of Jesus and his word that transforms us to be the church. You've been transformed if you belong to Jesus. If you've placed faith in him, you've been transformed to be the church. And that's great news. And if that's where the story stops, what the, the story that you believe the Bible is telling, if the story stops right there, you've got a lot of pages to rip out. Because the Bible is not primarily about, the story of the Bible is not primarily, primarily about you and your personal salvation. It's an important piece. It's not what the Bible is about. The Bible is not about you getting eternal life insurance so that you can avoid hell and that you can be poofed one day to eternal existence on the clouds playing harps all day long. That sounds like hell, actually. That, but that's not what the story of the Bible is about. And if that's all you think the Bible is about, is just my personal individual salvation. We are a church that believes in the importance of Jesus and his word that transforms us to be the church. You've been transformed to be the church. Story over. Let's just poof to the clouds right now. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is a much bigger and much grander story, hence the bigger whiteboard. Because we've got to tell the story of the Bible this morning. Okay? The story of the Bible is about a king and a kingdom. Not about people achieving or finding individual salvation for their lives. Peace, hope, and love, and happiness, and contentment. All that stuff may be thrown in, but the story of the Bible is about a king and a kingdom. That story of a king and a kingdom starts in Genesis chapter 1. The king creates this beautiful kingdom known as the cosmos, and earth is the playground. And earth is where he puts all of his beautiful creation and the tapestry of what he's painting and creating. And he's delighting in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Delight, to create this beautiful world for him and his image bearers, Adam and Eve, to co-reign together and to co-make more beautiful together for all eternity. That's the story of the setup of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then two chapters later, Genesis chapter 3, it's not good. Sin enters the picture, and the, and the beautiful tapestry of what the Lord created in Genesis 1 and 2 is shattered. And when sin enters the picture, the whole tapestry gets shattered, gets sick, and gets broken. This is the after effect of sin entering the picture, is that the kingdom that the king created has now been vandalized. The kingdom that the king created has now been spat upon. The kingdom that the king created has now experienced betrayal and treason from the inhabitants of the kingdom. But in Genesis chapter 3, the king of that kingdom makes a promise. 
The king of the kingdom promises in Genesis chapter 3 that one day at the end of time, one day, I will make all of this right. The king of the kingdom promises in the face of the shattered, sick, and broken story that has just happened, in the face of that, Genesis chapter 3, 15, God comes to his inhabitants, his vice regents who have committed treason against him, and he says, one day I will heal, one day I will mend, one day I will restore all that your treason caused. And guess how long it takes to tell that story? It takes the whole rest of the Bible to tell that story of the story of the king mending, healing, and restoring his kingdom that was shattered in Genesis chapter 3. And he promises that one day I will come and make this right. The king of the kingdom, the king who created the cosmos, that's a crown. The king who created the cosmos says, hey, one day I'm going to enter time and space and I'm going to make this right. And when that king comes, his name is Jesus. This right here we just covered in about 10 seconds the entire rest of the Old Testament. You're welcome. Okay. But there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there pointing to and talking about the coming of that king. The coming of that king was talked about from Genesis 3 till Malachi chapter 4. The coming of that king is, the, is what all the Old Testament is waiting on. And finally, the king of the kingdom enters that story. And guess what he brings with him when he enters the story? Healing, mending, and restoration. And he says to his people, if you join my kingdom, if you belong to me and you come to my kingdom, guess what you will get? You will get healed, you will get mended, and you will get restored. The kingdom is here. Over and over and over again in the Gospels when Jesus arrives and he walks among us and he teaches and he's doing his miracles and he's heading towards the cross and the empty tomb. Over and over again, he says the kingdom of God, that's K-O-G, he says is here. The kingdom of God is here. It's come. Why is the kingdom come? How do we know the kingdom has come? Because the king is here. The king of the kingdom has come and he brought with him all of these things. The kingdom is here. And if you join that kingdom, you get all the benefits of that kingdom. You get healed, you get mended, and you get restored. And so some of you are saying, well, wait, I think I'm a part of that kingdom. I don't feel healed. I don't feel mended. I don't feel restored. Why is it that I don't feel or the world doesn't feel healed, mended, or restored yet? And it's because one day the king of that kingdom who came once already, who advented once already, but then ascended back to his throne, says that one day I will come again. One day I will return and I will advent among you again. And when I come, I will bring the fullness of my kingdom when I come. Guess what the fullness of this kingdom will mean for the entire created world? It will finally one day be healed. It will finally one day in every capacity be mended. It will finally one day in every square inch be restored. One day this will happen, but we are not yet there. So the reason why things don't always work, the reason why things fall apart, the reason why there is still a brokenness amongst us, the reason why there is still a sickness and a shatteredness amongst us is because you and I are living in a time-space period where the kingdom is already here, it is already here, and it has not yet fully come. It has already come. Jesus has come and established his kingdom on earth, but it is not yet fully here. When will it fully be here? When will all of the shattering sickness and brokenness finally be dispelled when Jesus returns? But the kingdom has already come. And you go, well, wait, how can something already be true? How can it be here and not yet fully here? How can something already be a reality and not yet fully a reality? And I would say, ever heard of pregnancy? 
where, yes, there, is, is, the, is the woman pregnant? Is there a life inside the womb? Yes. Have you met it yet? Is it fully realized yet? No. That's actually one of the main illustrations for this already but not yet reality in the New Testament. Paul is constantly comparing this come kingdom that has already come but not yet fully here to pregnancy. Do you know what that nine-month window is like? I don't personally. Watched it closely four times. And it is rough. It's hard. It's excruciating. You're full of longing and hope for what is not yet here yet. But you know that it's here, just not fully here yet. You want to know another analogy of something that is here but not yet fully here? Ever been engaged? Where the wedding day hasn't happened yet, which is another analogy for the full kingdom come day. It will be a wedding day. But after engagement, something has changed. Something has started that has not fully come yet. Are you married? Kind of. Not really, not yet. The wedding hasn't happened yet. But man, it's different than before when you were married, were, when were single. So there is this reality where you understand, we understand, there is an already but a not yetness to things that we live in. That's what the kingdom's like. It's already here. Things have started to get healed. Things have started to get mended. Things have started to get re restored. Have they fully happened yet? Nope. And so in this in-between time, in this in-between the advents, in this pregnant, engaged season of the life of the world, of the kingdom come but not fully yet, what do we do? Well, wouldn't you know that this same king who is betrayed by his creator, creation, wouldn't you know that this same king who came to establish his kingdom on earth, he then invites the former betrayers he actually makes, through his work, those who committed treason against him, he welcomes them back into his kingdom to make them his bride. And that king says, bride, church, bride, bride of Christ, come and will you bride, will you join me, church, in the bringing of this kingdom to earth? That pregnancy baby analogy was great earlier, wasn't it? Yes. Um, Church, you are the plan. You are the method. Church, bride of Jesus, your king has invited you to join him in his kingdom so that you might share the riches of the kingdom with the world. Church, you are God's plan to bring God's kingdom to earth more fully. That is the story of the Bible. Not you getting life insurance for eternity. You, this is what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, will you make your kingdom come the way that it is in heaven, the way that it will be one day? Will you make it right now on earth? This is why 2 Corinthians 5 calls us ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation. Church, this is what 2 Corinthians 5 says. God is making his appeal to the world through you. God is reconciling all things to himself. How? Through the church. Church, you are the way that the kingdom will come to the world. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tells his disciples, he actually is talking about the church, the ecclesia. He says to the church, church, I will give you the keys of my kingdom. That Jesus actually says, now they didn't have cars back then, but much like a dad tossing the keys to the Corvette or the family truck to his teenage child who maybe isn't ready for the keys. In a very similar way, Jesus says, church, you have the keys to my kingdom. Church, 
you have the keys to open up the treasure chest of my kingdom. What is the treasure inside the, the treasure box of the kingdom? Right here. Healing, mending, and restoration. Anytime you see or hear the word kingdom in the Old or New Testament, it is talking about the healing, the mending, and the restoration that the king has brought. And when he tells the church, I'm giving you the keys of my kingdom, he's saying to you, he's saying to the church, you have the keys to the treasure chest to open up the treasure. Open it. You have the keys to bring these incredible cosmic-sized realities to the world that is not yet fully healed. Church, you're the plan. You're the way that the world is going to get healed. How? How does the church advance the kingdom? How do we do that? How does the church, in the Old Testament wordage, bring shalom to the world? Because Jesus promised you, he promised his people to his gathered ecclesia people that he will give you the keys of his kingdom. And so in 2022, where we are, how does this little hipster church, right, on 12th Ave, if I had red, I would color the doors red, maybe. How, how, what, is, what is this local church, is this little dot on, on, the, on the timeline of history of God's people bringing the kingdom to the world? How does this little Midtown Fellowship 12 South, what role does it play in bringing the kingdom to the world? Well, this is where, and we're going to get technical here for a minute, but I, I hope it makes sense. I'm going I'm to explain this. i got lots of whiteboard space left. Okay, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> you're not worried. I'm worried. But we're going to get technical to explain a distinction. It's a scriptural distinction, but a certain theologian, many theologians, but one theologian in particular has radically helped with this distinction. Theologian about 100 years ago, a guy named Abraham Kuyper from the Netherlands. He was actually the prime minister of the Netherlands. He's very smart, very bright, very uh, uh, intelligent. And he coined this phrase. Now, just stick with me because I'm going to explain all this and I'm going to bring it back to our, our, our timeline. He coined this phrase, sphere sovereignty. What did Abraham Kuyper mean by sphere sovereignty? Abraham Kuyper says, hey, you know, Jesus, this king who has come, he's the king of the cosmos. He's the supreme, ultimate, sovereign king ruler of the, the known order. And so in Jesus' sovereignty, in Jesus' rule, in Jesus' authority, with his seat on the throne as the king of the cosmos, he has given authority, he dotes out authority to people that he calls into certain spheres. So he calls some of his people into different walks of life. The spheres, those are supposed to be stick people, okay? He calls, he calls people into certain spheres that we do life in. And when Jesus calls people to spheres, he gives them authority and influence and the ability. He gives them the keys through his authority to bring the kingdom to those spheres. Stay with me. So what spheres do people live and walk and move in? What spheres are people called to and placed in? You may be called to the home sphere. You may be a full-time mom and your sphere of influence is your home. You may be called to the medical sphere. You may be in residency. You may be an attending physician. You have been called to the medical sphere. You may have been called to the financial sphere. You may have been called to the law or government sphere. You've been placed there in that sphere to have influence or the educational sphere or the art or, or culture or creative sphere. I don't know. Whatever sphere you've been placed in, please make no mistake, Jesus, the supreme king of the universe, has called you and placed you there. 
Maybe not forever. For now he has. How do I know that? Because you're there. So wherever he's placed you as the supreme being in the universe with all the authority to do whatever he wills or wants, he has called you to whatever sphere you are currently in. And what does he call you there with and what does he toss you as you are called into that sphere? The keys of the kingdom. So let me ask this question. As you look at these spheres, as you ponder these spheres, the sphere that you're in, you're an insurance salesman, you're a coach, you're a full-time mom, you're a student. I don't know. Wherever the Lord's called you, as you think about the space that you inhabit, the profession, the vocation, the sphere, let me ask you this question. What's broken about the sphere where God's called you? We've all got PhDs in everybody else's problems and what's broken in our system, but let's talk about it for a second. Let's just, let's just get uh, wildly creative in your mind to imagine the sphere where God's called you What's broken? Let me put it in another language. What's sick and shattered in the sphere where God's called you? If you work in the financial sphere, is there greed there? If you work in the medical sphere, is there death and sickness there? If you work uh, in the educational sphere, is there injustice there? If you work in the law or government sphere, is there injustice there? If you work on the home sphere, is there selfishness there? If you work in the artist creative sphere, is there narcissism there? Sorry, I'm not picking on, okay, just, it's everywhere, just saying, okay. That was, stay with the notes, won't get in trouble. But as you think about what's broken about the sphere where you've been placed, can you imagine, can you imagine how you're living in an already but a not yet reality in your sphere? That the kingdom may have come, it hasn't come fully where I'm at. Because I still see a bunch of things that are shattered and sick and broken about where God has placed me. The Bible would summarize all that is broken and sick and shattered about your sphere. It would summarize it with these two words, sin and death. Where do sin and death still seep out in the sphere where you've been placed? And I know you could list a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of answers to that question. Where do sin and death still seem to have a reign in the sphere where God has placed me. Sin and death have ruined the world. Started in Genesis 3. Story's not over yet. One day sin and death will be no more, according to 1 Corinthians 15. One day the last enemy to be defeated will be death itself. But right now in this in-between, in this pregnant, engaged season of the life of the world, it's here but it's not here. There's some healing, but man, there's a lot of things that aren't healed yet. Where does sin and death reign? Where does sin and death seep out in your sphere? And here's what Jesus would look at you, church. If you belong to Jesus in this room, here's what, the, here's what Jesus would say to you. Here are the keys. Here are the keys to my kingdom. And I've called you, 2 Corinthians 5 would say, as an ambassador of reconciliation, I have called you to your sphere to bring with you the keys of my kingdom. To bring with you into this sphere, wherever I've called you, to bring with you the realities of my kingdom, which is healing, mending, and restoration. Bring with you the benefits of belonging to my kingdom. Bring with you the riches of your glorious inheritance that is yours because you are married or engaged to Jesus. The king of the universe is your husband-to-be. He says, welcome to my kingdom where I dote out my riches for those that don't deserve it. And now you are the ambassador. Church, you are the answer to bring the kingdom to the spheres where it has not yet fully come yet. So how does the church, the people of God, bring healing, mending, and restoration with them to the spheres that they are in? 
Well, there's one sphere that we haven't talked about yet. And this is what Abraham Kuyper makes really helpfully, makes the distinction. There's the sphere of the local church. The Bible breaks this apart too. This is helpful, but Abraham Kuyper really helps like systematize it and explain this out. The sphere of the local church, Jesus in his supreme sovereignty has given authority to the local church, has given authority to the organization of the church, Midtown Fellowship 12 South. And in our sphere, we are called with the keys of the kingdom to do our part in the bringing of the kingdom to the world. So the distinction here is this, the organization of the church versus the organism of the church, the living, breathing entities of the church, the people of God that call Midtown 12 South home that attend here. You are the organism of the church, but you're not the organization of the church. You're not the institution of the church, which has tons of flaws. But in this already but not yet state, the local church has been given some authority to do our role, Midtown 12 South, our role in the bringing of the kingdom of God to Nashville. I know there's a lot. Welcome to seminary. We ready? We're going to keep going, okay? The organization of the church and the organism of the church are interrelated, but they have different roles to play. The organization is to nurture the members of the kingdom. The organization is to sustain the organism of the church. The institution is to help aid, protect, feed, guide, love, and comfort the people, the organism. The church as an institute is to nourish and build and create a vibrant core of believers who as an organism then leave this place and infiltrate like leaven in bread the spheres of the society that they inhabit now. So let me ask a very practical question. Is it the job of Midtown 12 South, the organization, the institution, the elders, the staff, the leadership here, is it the role of Midtown 12 South, the local organization, to eradicate poverty in Nashville? Is it the job of Midtown 12 South, the institution, the organization, to make sure that our education system serves all people equally and fairly with justice and love and compassion and equity? Is that the role of Midtown Fellowship 12 South, the institution? Is it the role of Midtown Fellowship, the institution, to end homelessness, to end human trafficking, to uh, eradicate poverty, to help um, uh, people not die at hospitals and for, for people to know what medical care they need? Is it the role of Midtown Fellowship 12 South, the institution, to do all that? No. Is it the role of the organism, of the people, the church as a people, is it their role to do that? Yes. And so this, this distinction is really, really helpful because the local church, the local organization of Midtown Fellowship 12 South is not meant to overreach its sphere. And anytime it does, it gets really ugly and messy. The local church has a role in its sphere. The institution of the church has a role in the sphere and the, and the authority that Jesus has given that church to do its work. So what is that work? How does, how does the people who would call 12 South home, how do they begin to seep out and be the living organism that brings with them the keys of the kingdom that they've been given into their spheres? How does that work? How do people of God bring with them the healing, the restoration, and the mending that the kingdom of God brings. How do they bring that with them? Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. He gives two comparisons, two analogies for this role. You know what the church is supposed to be like in the world? Salt and light. Salt and light. 
That's what you bring to your spheres. Let's play with those analogies for two minutes. Salt, you know what salt does? Love salt. You know what salt does? Salt enhances flavor. Salt in their day, in Jesus' day, preserved life too. It preserved things so they didn't enter decay. It preserved meat so that it didn't rot. So salt preserved and fought against death and decay, and salt enhanced the flavor of Salt by its own does not change the flavor of anything. Salt, what it does is it brings out the flavor of something that is already there. Salt by its very nature does not inherently change something, it inherently enhances something. Salt makes something better than it is. Every time. Light, what does light do? Salt and light, what does light do? Light casts out darkness. Light brings revelation. You don't know things in the dark, and when light enters the darkness, guess what happens to you? You can see clearly. Things are revealed to you because of the light. Light makes things less chaotic. Light makes things brighter. Light makes things more alive. The darkness is scary. When my children are afraid of the dark, guess what? All that I have to do when they're walking into a dark room and they say, Daddy, I'm scared, I don't have to tell them you have nothing to be afraid of. There's no boogeyman. All I have to do is turn on the light because light dispels the fear. Light dispels the chaos. Light dispels the darkness. So let me make this really applicable. Your sphere, wherever God has called you, full-time mom, artist, creative, uh, don't know what I wrote there, what did I write there? Oh, educational sphere, there we go. Long government sphere, the financial sphere, the medical sphere, wherever he's called you. Your sphere, get this, should be a better sphere because you were there. Because as salt, you've enhanced that place. And as light, you've made things more alive and brighter. Your sphere, your home, your workplace should be a place that is more at peace should be a place that's less anxious, should be a place that's more compassionate, should be a place that's less competitive, should be a place that has more healing, should be a place that's less destructive, that is more generous, less self-seeking, all because you're there. Your presence in your sphere should bring with it and should be like salt and light to that sphere. It should be better to work where you work because you're there and you're like salt and you enhance things and you make things better. You're not there to change it, you're there to make it better. You're there like light to cast out the darkness and to cast out the chaos. You're there to be a different presence there. Like 2 Corinthians 5, as an ambassador of reconciliation, you are there to bring with you the keys that you have to the kingdom that bring these realities to it. This is why Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer, teaches us to pray, on earth as it is in heaven. We've said this. Jesus, make my workplace more heavenly. Make it on earth as it is in heaven. Make it all of these things where one day, heaven, when heaven comes down, this world will be healed, mended, and restored. Make my coffee shop like that more now because I'm there. Make my law practice, make my medical practice, make my, make my school, make, my, make the people I co-write with, make the children in my home, make everything that I walk into more alive, more enhanced, better, and less decaying because I'm there. And I carry with me the keys of the kingdom. your salt and light in every sphere where God has placed you. UVA professor James Hunter, um, he uh, has written several books, wrote one about seven or eight years ago uh, that kind of coined this term in talking about the salt and light kind of presence that the people of God are to bring with them in the spheres where they are placed. He called it a faithful presence of the church in the world. 
It's, it, it, it really is, is way more simple than we've made it and really less scary than we've made it. You are not where you are to proselytize your coworkers. You're not there, you're not there to win a, an argument for Christianity. Some of that may happen, oh, sure, and that, some of that's important. You are there to be the presence of the kingdom in your sphere. You are there as God's making his appeal to the world through you for salt and light of the values of the kingdom wherever God has placed you. Now, you may be asked, why in the world do you have hope when there's chaos and uh, destruction everywhere? And the New Testament would say, always be prepared to give a reason and an answer for the hope that you have. But you're not there to proselytize. You're not there to, wear, you're not there to win arguments. or conv- you're, not, you're not there to be annoying. You're, you're there to be an enhancer. You're not there to be too salty, right? You're not there to like oversalt something. You're not there, the oversalted stuff is not good. But you're there to be a healthy presence of salt and light. You're there to be a faithful presence, bringing with you the values of the kingdom. If you're sitting there and you're going, all right, I sell insurance or I'm a student at Belmont or whatever. I don't really know what, that, what this is supposed to look like. I don't really know what this is, okay, because look at it. But I don't really know, like, how to do this. And you may be going, I, I don't really get how, like, salt, how can I be salt and light where I'm at? How can I do all this where I'm at? And I would say, you, if you need any help going, I don't know how the Lord has called me to my sphere and how he's called me, how, how I'm supposed to use the keys of the kingdom in my sphere. This is the exact reason why Midtown 12 South has ministry partners, places and people and other organizations that have figured out how to be salt and light and how to carry with them the keys of the kingdom in this city. Let me tell you about them briefly. You'll hear about them. As long as you're here, you will hear about these places and these people regularly. Young Lives, Lindsay Norton, member here. She, has, she runs a ministry here that is a ministry to teen moms. You know, she runs into the darkness of being a teen mom with the light of Jesus. Let's walk with you. Let's carry you. Let's help change diapers with you. Let's let you be a teenager again. Let's love on you and let's give you Jesus. Let's take you to camp. Let's get you childcare. Let us help you and hold you. She is being, her team is being salt and light to the world. They're bringing light to the darkness of the, of the sphere of motherhood, especially teen motherhood. Corner to corner, Will Acuff, another amazing ministry here. They are doing stuff in every corner of our city, corner to corner, and they are doing incredible work. They've got a script to screen program where they teach kids literacy and reading by doing an after school program where they show them how the movies that they love started with a movie script and they they show them Black Panther and then they show them uh, the script of Black Panther and they go, hey, this thing you love on a screen started with people being able to read and write. Let's do it ourselves. And they make movies with all these kids from their city and they need creatives and they need people to come help them and train them. And then they have this red carpet rollout where the kids get to show their short films. It's awesome. Beautiful. They've got the academy where they train inner city entrepreneurs and give them loans and give them dignity and say, hey, you want to run a business here? Let us help you do that. We'll teach you how to do that. They're doing it all over the city. They've put millions of dollars back into our economy by training and loaning to local entrepreneurs in the inner city. It's amazing. NAHT, National Anti-Human Trafficking. Mary Trapnell and her team, they just got a new space at Nolensville and Thompson Lane. They rescue women off the street. They love them, they heal them, they get them counseling, they teach them about Jesus, they give them skills, and they say, hey, you're worth more than what your pimp told you you were. And let us love you and let us heal you with the love of Jesus and get you out of the darkness and come and heal in the light with us. It's amazing. 
They have figured out a very dark, maybe the darkest sphere of our city, and they're not afraid to run into the darkness. You know why? Because they have the keys of the kingdom. They've got the light that they need to run in and cast the darkness out in that setting. Two others that we partner with and send people to and believe in, Room at the Inn, the homeless ministry, downtown off 8th. It's amazing. They would love your money and your time. And Salome, the community health center over off 8th, we send people there too to love and serve and support over there. They're doing incredible work, healthcare for refugees, healthcare for the underprivileged. They're bringing salt and light to their sphere. So if you're going, hey, don't know how to bring salt and light to my insurance sphere. I keep picking on insurance, I'm sorry. I, that's just, it's just, it's the one that I would have the toughest time with. But they're, they're, if you're going, I don't know how to do this, I would go, great, here's five places who have figured out how to do it. Go do it with them until you can figure out how to do it where you are. Because they've got places for you to play. They've got checks for you to write. They've got places for you to use the keys of the kingdom that you've been given to serve with them. So back to this relationship. Organizational, institutional church, organism, people, church. Helpful that we make that distinction. How is the organization of the church to help nurture and create a people, the organism, who are then able to go and be a faithful presence in the world? How does the organization send the organism full of light back into their sphere? Well, if you remember from middle school science, every organism has basic needs. The organism of the church, the people, you and me, have needs. We need a certain habitat. We need certain circumstances. We need certain nourishment. We need certain food. We need certain sunlight. We need a certain um, reality to exist for us to be a healthy and vibrant organism. So the organization of the church, Midtown 12 South, this institution of the church, is to feed, nourish, sustain the organism with living bread and living water every week. Because the organism comes into the institution every week thirsty and hungry. And so with the sphere that we've been placed in as an organizational entity, we've been given authority by Jesus to administer our authority here with the word and sacrament and prayer and fellowship and, and maturing you. We've been tasked with, that is our sphere. Here's what all that means. Every time you come in here, we want you to encounter Jesus. Why do we want you to encounter Jesus every time you come in here as the living organism that is the church in the world? Is because you're starving for Jesus. You're thirsty for living water. You're hungry for living bread. And so you can come in here every week and hear about Jesus and his gospel and his love for you and his pursuit of you and his protection of you and his work for you and his death for you and his resurrection for you and the story that he's writing in the world that he's invited you to be a part of. You will come in here every week and you, we hope, will encounter Jesus. Why? Because it is what the organism needs to be sustained and nourished. The organism is called to bring the keys of the kingdom to every sphere. And the organization is called to feed and sustain the organism. So please understand this. This, this plays into a big part of our mission here. What we are about and what we are not about. What we seek to do with our time and resources and what we don't as the institution. Anytime a local institution or organization uh, decides to go mega, decides to go like let's just... Let's just overreach our sphere. And I've worked at megachurches. I'm not, I'm not 
not talking about that in, entirely. I'm saying anytime the local church in the organization tries to overreach the sphere that it's been placed in, it gets messy. The local church, the organization of the church, the institution of the church is to stay within its sphere. This is what I was talking about earlier. It is not Midtown 12 South's job as an institution to make sure no one dies at Vanderbilt Hospital. It's not our job. It is the, or, the organism of the people that work there that have the keys of the kingdom that also call this place home. We want to feed and sustain the doctors, nurses, administrators, and volunteers that all work and serve there. That's our job. Let us send you there sustained and nourished. And so we're not trying to get mega. Gosh, I don't even know if you guys can see all those dotted lines. Does it even make any sense anymore? I don't know what's going on. But here's why another big piece of our mission is we're not trying to get 20,000 people at one location. We're trying to keep planting local churches in this city. Why? There's a whole bunch of great reasons. In this context, it's because we want to do this in a bunch of pockets where 12 South couldn't reach. There's a bunch of people in West Nashville that are coming to be fed and sustained and nourished by the organ organization of Midtown West Nashville that wouldn't come here, that they haven't been here. Same thing in Creve Hall in East Nashville and any other future plant we, we seek to make happen. We're not trying to get mega. We want to see this reality happen in every pocket possible in Nashville. That's why we plant churches. So organizations sustain and supplies the needs of the organism. So what exactly, like we said before, does the organization feed the organism? Like we said, it's the risen Jesus. It's the person, the work, the love, the faithfulness, the righteousness, the kindness, the compassion, the mercy of Jesus. That's what we feed our people with every week. Do you know what happens when people regularly encounter the living Jesus? Do you know what happens who regularly feed on Jesus and his gospel for them? Do you know what happens to people who come in, they're thirsty, they're hungry, they're dying, they're depleted, they're pregnant, and they are exhausted from the world that has not yet fully had the kingdom? Do you know what happens to them when they come in and they hear about who Jesus is and what he's done for them? Do you know what happens to them? They get satisfied. They drink living water and they eat living bread. And the more you come in here and behold Jesus and you bring your hunger and you bring your sin and you bring your thirst and you bring your exhaustion and you bring your depression and you bring your anxiety and you bring your fears and you bring your hatred and you bring your lust and you bring your addictions and you bring all that's the mess and you come here and you behold Jesus and you hear that he has not left you and you hear that he still adores you. And you hear that he's inviting you like his bride to be a part of the bringing of this kingdom into the world. Guess what happens to you? You get healed. You get mended. And you get restored. And then, because you have been healed and mended and restored in this place, like on a weekly basis, you then leave this place. You then go back to the spheres where you've been called. Guess what? You're satisfied. Which means you don't need your law firm to tell you who you are. You don't need your, uh, your music sales or your, your, uh, your uh, co-writes that week. You don't need them to, to give you an identity. You don't need them to satisfy a longing for you. Why not? The longing, the deepest longing has already been met. So now you leave this place going back into the world satisfied. 
full of light, ready to be salt. In fact, you go back to your spheres, you go back to your home, you go back to your hospitals, you go back to your classrooms, and you don't need those places to give you something they could never give you. Because here's what happens if we don't get fed and nourished in our organism. We look for our spheres to give us things, to tell us who we are, to feed us and sustain us. And guess what your job and vocation and sphere can never do for you? Satisfy you. Guess what Jesus can do for you? Satisfy you. So then you get to go back to those fears and you get to be thinking to yourself, I wonder how I could serve this place. I don't need it to give me anything. I've already got what I need. I wonder how I could give myself to this place, not take something from this place. I wonder how I could be salt and light here instead of a selfish person who's just taking from this place to give me something this place was never meant to give me. So the local church proclaims who Jesus is. And when we see who Jesus is, we see who we are. And the more we see who we are, we see who he is. And we leave this gathering, this ecclesia, every week satisfied. And then guess what will happen between now and next Sunday? You'll get hungry again, and I will too. And guess what we'll give you? Living bread next Sunday. And you're going to get thirsty again. Probably not even next Sunday, like probably tomorrow morning. You're going to be dying of thirst. And guess what we will give you? Living water, the river of his pleasures. This is the gospel. This is why we preach the gospel every week here. Like if you've been here for a short season, you're like, man, they really preach the gospel a lot here. I'd say, buckle up, buddy, because it's only going to get worse. Like we're, that's, that's what we do here. Not, not because we care ultimately just about you and your personal salvation. We do. We care about Midtown and the organism of the church changing the world. How's the world going to be changed? It's when the organism is fed and sustained and nourished and satisfied. And then we enter the world as a faithful presence with salt and light. You won't need your sphere to tell you who you are after you've heard Jesus tell you who you are. So every week, we'll give you Jesus. We'll invite you to feed on, drink from, take from the sufficiency of Jesus and what he's done for you. And we'll invite you to bring all of your sin and all of your longing and all of your aching that you might be satisfied when you leave here. So one more time. We are a church that believes in the importance of Jesus and the word and how it transforms us to be the church to our world. As we grow and mature in Christ, we believe we become agents of renewal and revival in our homes, neighborhoods, workplaces, city, and beyond. Let's pray. Jesus, um, I pray that uh, the listeners this morning hear this grand story of a king and a kingdom coming to the world I pray they hear it as an invitation to liberty and not as a, a punishment to legalism. That we would get wrapped up in and caught up in a grander narrative than just our own life. But that we as your bride have been brought into the kingdom to share your kingdom with the spheres where we've been called. So Jesus, would you do that uh, for my friends? Would you... Um, would you minister to us as we come here to feed on you? Would you help us to see you clearly this morning, to take from you what we need that we might leave here a satisfied people, ready and willing to serve our homes and our city and our workplace and bring the light to the dark, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.